BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Friday, June 2nd starts now. On today's show, it's Friday, so Oh What A Week returns. And returning for Oh What A Week, comedian Rachel Jarofsky. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. If you're looking for it, it's in the Reader, or it's online at ChicagoReader.com. If it's about Ben Jarofsky, well, it's going to be at ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Welcome to Chicago Friday, and here's why. Because it's Friday. Actually, it's, oh, what a week, Friday. That's a little confusing, you know. I'm mixing my messages. Joining with me is the great comedian, great thinker, a great writer. A great actress and a hell of a hoopster, and my daughter, Ray J, Rachel Jarofsky. I am in Rachel's kitchen. We took the show on the road, man. You have no idea what I had to do to get this show up today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all the applause uh, for enabling me to get this show up uh, on the road. I'm visiting uh, my family in California today, coming back over the weekend. All right. Now, what do I mean by welcome to Chicago? Well, this thought occurred to me as I was reading today's Sun Times, today's Tribune, uh, Block Club. They're all excited. Because Taylor Swift is coming to Chicago. Taylor Swift. I, I can't say I know anything about Taylor Swift. We're going to get into a little bit this, a little more about Taylor Swift's music. I don't know if I should call her a rock star. I don't know if I should call her a pop star. I'm not quite sure what she a pop star. Okay, great pop star. Exceedingly popular. Very powerful, influential in the music scene. Millions and millions of fans. She's coming to Chicago. She's playing at Soldier Field. Hundreds of thousands of Swifty fans, whatever they call them, Swifties, are coming to Chicago. And the media is greeting this with excitement. It's good for Chicago. Here's what we should know about Chicago. Here's, here, here's what the Swifties will be wearing. This is where they'll want to eat. It's a good thing for the city of Chicago. Very good thing that Taylor Swift is bringing her, her show to Chicago, bringing her fans to Chicago. Also in the paper, NASCAR is coming to Chicago. That's in about a month or so. There was a promotional articles about, hey, people, when they get the track up, you could drive on the track if you know the right person. And it's going to be very exciting because people are going to be coming to Chicago for NASCAR. A little while after that, Lollapalooza will come to Chicago. Hey, people's going to be really excited. There's going to be thousands and thousands of people coming from all over the country to see rock and roll music, Grant Park, Smoke Reefer, whatever they do at Lollapalooza. Great for Chicago. Then I see this story broke. I want to say, uh, listener Frank, thank you very much for sending this to me. The Bears. The Bears, who played in Soldier Field, thinking of leaving Chicago, of course. They've been negotiating with Arlington Heights for a long time. They bought uh, the old Arlington Heights racetrack. They're in the process of tearing it down. They have permission to tear it down. Now, all of a sudden, this story breaks. Bears talking to Naperville. <laughs> God, are they slick. 
the plan. First, they played Arlington Heights against Chicago, and then they figure they got a better deal from Arlington Heights. So they're leaving Chicago. And now they don't like that Arlington Heights is threatening not to give them the money they wanted, the handout they wanted. So they're talking in Naperville. Kinda. First, they try to extort Chicago. Then they, by threatening to go to Arlington Heights, now they're trying to extort Arlington Heights by threatening to go to Naperville. The point is, they're going somewhere, and they're welcome. Chicago would love to stay in Chicago, even if it costs us money. Arlington Heights, it wants them to come to Arlington Heights, even though it's going to cost them money. They're negotiating about much money. And now Naperville says, hey, wait, what about us? Everybody wants people coming to their city, except when they're asylum seekers. Isn't that interesting? We just had to vote the city council this week. You knew I was going to get to this, ladies and gentlemen. I bet you were figuring out where I was going with this, and now I've arrived there. Asylum speakers, it's like, I don't know, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000? They're coming by busloads, so it's like dribs and drabs. It's really not a huge outpouring. Whatever it is, it's far less than the number of Bear fans that come to Soldier Field on any given Sunday. And it's far less than any Bear fans that will go to Arlington Heights or Naperville. And it's far less than any Swifties, or whatever they call them, who will go to Soldier Field to see Taylor Swift. And it's far less than any NASCAR fans who will show up to NASCAR. And it's, they're all coming in. They're welcome. But the asylum seekers aren't welcome. I'm like, why is that? Why do we welcome Bear fans, Taylor Swift fans, NASCAR fans? Not just Chicago. Naperville goes, please, we want them. We want them. You know, and I, I can I can hear I can hear your little brain, Chicago, coming up with a response. I know you, Chicago. You're all coming up with a response right now. Well, Ben, it costs money for the asylum seekers. Well, it costs money for the Bears, too. Bears want you to build them a freaking stadium. I mean, it costs probably more money for the Bears to build the Bears a stadium than it costs for the asylum seekers. In fact, I remember 2017. Remember this? Amazon? was playing one city against the other, Chicago was willing to spend over $2 billion. At least we don't really know the full amount because they wouldn't tell us. Mayor Rahm, your guy that you elected, Mayor Rahm, uh, Governor Rahm, or his pal, his wine-drinking pal, were offering untold billions of dollars. So it was going to cost money to get Amazon. I didn't hear you complaining about that. Just spent $1.3 billion for Lincoln Yards. I didn't hear you complaining about that. The asylum seekers. <laughs> You're really crying about that. And I'll take it one step further. Just imagine if it wasn't asylum seekers coming over the border with Mexico. Imagine if it were asylum seekers coming through Ukraine because of the Russian invasion. Or asylum seekers coming from Russia. Uh, refuseniks, Jewish refuseniks who were the victims of persecuted persecution in Russia, or Haitians fleeing just the economic misery of that island, or Cubans coming in from Cuba fleeing communism, or Poles coming in from Poland, I don't know, in the 80s uh, at, the, at the end of communism, or the Irish coming in from Ireland, or Italians coming in. Just imagine they'd be welcomed in Chicago like the Italian fellowship group would be raising money for charity, the Ukrainian fellowship groups would be raising money for charity, the Jewish fellowship groups, et cetera, and so forth. 
Well, maybe not the Haitians. Uh, they, they, uh, I push back on that one. I think Chicago would be very concerned about the Haitians. But the Ukrainians would be cool. The Irish would be cool. The Italians would be cool. But you really don't want these asylum seekers. It's really, and by the way, it's kind of like, it's the one thing that unites Chicagoans. So white Chicagoans and black Chicagoans, but have to eat each other's throats for as long as I can remember. Can't agree on anything. 1983, one of the most divisive elections I've ever seen. All the white people voted for Bernie Epton because they didn't want a black man as their mayor. And all the people in Chicago voted for Harold Washington, well, because they had common sense and he was the best candidate. But they're united on this. We don't want the asylum Isn't that funny? What, what do you got against asylum seekers? That you don't have against Taylor Swift fans or NASCAR or Bears fans or Amazon. You know what it is, Chicago? I'm going to tell it to you. You've been played. You've been taken. You're suckers. You've been gaslit. MAGA has played with your brain. MAGA had, and Donnie Trump have turned this into an issue for eight years, and you bought into it. You believe the stupid stuff they tell you. It's like, we're scared. This could really danger, endanger our city. How are we going to pay for them? What are they gonna, where are they going to live? Who's going to pay for them? You know, you've been losing population for 20 years, Chicago. Now people want to come here, and you're complaining. But Taylor Swift fans, come on in. Bears fans, we want you. You're a weird people, Chicago. You really are. But in this particular case, I can't completely blame you because you've enabled yourself, you've allowed yourself to be gaslit by MAGA. All right, without further ado, I'm going to bring on the great Rachel Jarofsky. She's sitting there patiently waiting for me to be done. I, I am done with this particular matter, Rachel. No, that, was, that was spellbinding. It really was. I mean, it was, uh, it was, that was some of your best performance art yet, Dad. But you're right. I mean, first of all, Taylor Swift is going to bring all of the suburbs into the city for her concert, which is just an embarrassment and a void of culture, in my opinion. Um, and also just like, Taylor Swift fans are just so intense. They're so intense and they're so I'm they're so obsessed with Taylor and they're so white too, which is like, you know, intense fan culture, fangirl culture, I think as it's called, is already just a lot to experience. But then Swifties are just a whole nother league because it's just like intense straight white women uh you know, bowing to a God, bowing to their God, a straight white woman, um, which is just like, you know, are, are white, straight white women worse than other people? No, but in mass, they're annoying. Um, and uh, <clears throat> and so I, I do I, I'll put it this way. I'm not I'm not mad that I don't live in that. I'm going to be missing that, that I'm going to be missing that sort of uh, Swifty flocking. Um for uh for taylor's taylor's concert there's i mean but taylor's also been in uh some some uh there's been a lot going on with her she's dating matt healy um the rock star of 1975 and he's like a real edge lord he's always like doing stuff that's like kind of problematic but it's ironic you know what i mean he's that type of uh of of white guy and i think i think his politics are left but i do think there are like 
lefty edgelords who are like so they're so radical that you just don't that they're you know saying racist stuff in a radical way like it's it's uh it's definitely a brand um but matt healy has been a specifically problematic character uh taylor swift's new boo because one he laughed at uh he laughed at ice spice on this podcast i think it's the the matt friedland podcast or the alex friedland podcast um he laughed at ice spice who we all love you know the next generation of pop uh a bronx a bisexual gen z icon um and he also like laughed at a joke that the podcast hosts uh, made about like um, in which they were essentially doing like problematic accents of imitating Japanese Americans in concentration camps. So he's very edgelordy. Taylor Swift fans uh, are freaking out about them being together. Um, I, I was reading some Twitter threads and uh, this one, <laughs> this one swift swifty fan was like we cannot get we cannot get our knee we won't get our foot off matt healy's neck until taylor breaks up with him like these are the levels of intensity of this fandom um so all that is to say is like you know dad it none of it surprises me it doesn't surprise me that they want the commerce the commerce of the bears and the commerce of 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 taylor swift's co you know concert but they don't uh want to help you know chicagoans don't don't want to help out you know humanity Sounds, yeah they don't want to help people in need uh you got a lot of things i have to follow up on because sure. i know the boomer listeners will have absolutely no idea what you're talking about since i uh have no absolute uh, idea what you're talking about but i will say this about commerce the asylum seekers will be buying things too they'll be buying things and they'll also be the backbone of the economy as per usual so it's like just like all the uh, Italian Americans and Irish Americans, Jewish Americans, Ukrainian Americans, Haitian Americans, Cuban Americans were backbones too. You know, they took a lot of important jobs. Absolutely. And now, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's such a classic thing, Rach. Uh, people get here. I'm here. I'm slamming the gate shut. I don't want anybody else to come in. Uh, but uh, except for uh, Swifty fans. Oh, it's good, Ben. They're going to buy merchandise. That's Chicago. It's thought. All right, um, Edge Lord. I you you used that word twice. I think you said Edge Lord, which would be E D G E Lord. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I did. Uh, and um, I think I know what Edge Lord is, but I'm guess it's really only a guess by how you used it. So in your sentence, so why don't you explain to the multitudes what an Edge Lord is? Um, according to dictionary.com, an edgelord is a person who affects a provocative or extreme persona, especially online, typically used of uh, a man. So it's typically men who are edgelords. I'm an edgelord. Um, <laughs> uh, an edgelord is someone on the Internet who tries to impress or shock by posting edgy opinions such oh. as nihilism or extremist views. The person, the term is derived from edgy and shitlord, a person who basks in the bitterness and misery of others. Um, so there's edgelords. Uh, usually edgelords are, yes, marginalized men who uh, have hot takes that are provocative, but kind of rooted in the same old fuckery. Yeah. 
I guess Elon Musk is kind of an edge lord. He wants to be an edge lord. Total edge lord. Uh, uh, and uh, really, what I think you're saying, it's a uh, a man who wants to insult people who don't look exactly like him or behave exactly like him. Uh, and he thinks by insulting them, then he's saying something um, deep and making a statement, a comment about where we're going as a, a civilization or edgy, as you said. Uh, yeah. That line you used, uh, saying racist stuff in an ironic way, uh, that I've been thinking about what, since you said that, I wrote that down. And uh, I think the old boy, the boyfriend, uh, whose name just escaped me. Uh, Matt Healy. Matt Healy, my bad. I Matty Healy, yeah. I, I had never, okay, here comes a moment of uh, acknowledgement. I had never heard of Maddie Haley uh, until I started reading up on Taylor Swift. Sure. Uh, in preparation for the invasion of Swifties yeah. uh, to the city of Chicago. Uh, and he's British uh, rock star with a group called 1975. Look, look how much I've learned in just one day. Uh, and um, so some of the things he does uh, are kind of edge lordy in the regard of you espouse something racist, but you're doing it ironically uh, so that it uh, is not in your view, racist, even though it could easily be interpreted as racist or anti-Semitic, uh, you're you're trying to make a a, a statement uh, about racism or anti-Semitism, but because this statement is in these ironic tones, it looks as though you're endorsing it. If you follow what I just said, yeah, yeah. Like for example, um, he. Matty Healy, uh, in his band 1975, played a concert, um, like, a few days before International Holocaust Remembrance Day, uh, this past January, and he, while at the concert, like, essentially gave a gesture that appeared to be a Nazi salute, and then said, thank you, saying... Thank you, Kanye. Very cool. So he, you know, this is days before, to repeat, days before International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Maddie Healy does this bit where he hiles and sing songy expresses his thanks to Kanye West. Like, and it was supposed to be like a political statement. Like, what's your statement? What's your statement? Like, what is your statement? Um, it comes from like a very kind of privileged place to be, to take these sort of like, uh tokens or of hatred or like representations of hatred and try to repurpose them um to mean something different because you have you have the you know emotional space or you don't have uh, a link to the marginalized identity that these uh that these statements you know historically uh oppress you know like you he's not jewish so he can you know heil hitler till ironically till the days you know till the cow comes home and it won't feel it won't carry that same weight or significance for him um yeah it's 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 interesting like that you brought up elon musk being an edgelord because it feels so fitting that like <laughs> that an edgelord uh, owned came an edgelord purchased Twitter. Like Twitter is run by one of the richest edgelords 
um, in the world. Like that, I guess, is fitting for the platform. I would say take out one of the, I think he's the richest man in the world. Yes. Uh, so he's the richest Ed Lord of the world. Uh, is right. the richest Ed Lord in the world owns Ed Lord? Yeah, richest Edge Lord of the world owns Twitter. Yeah, which is weirdly appropriate for where Twitter is going right it, now. A thousand uh, percent. It's it, it ma- it's appropriate. It makes sense for the for the platform because you could say that Twitter gave rise to Edge Lords in general and gave them voices, along with you know giving voices to so many others, other other type of people as well. But those type of people for sure. And, you know, Elon Musk, since taking over Twitter, has taken gone to great lengths to um, make it more uh, edgelord, um, make it more of a safe haven for edgelord. So more edgelord comfortable, if you will. Uh, And uh, by the way, when you were uh, talking about him giving the Nazi uh, salute uh, at uh, a rock concert, in supposedly an ironic way that was somehow or other commenting on uh, Kanye West descent into madness. And it brought back a memory of uh, his predecessors in my bowling league from the 1990s. I know I told you this story. Uh, when I first started bowling at this one league in the 1990s, it was a different crew of people uh, than there are now in many ways. But there was this one guy who uh, had a mustache and the mustache made him vaguely look like Hitler. Mm. And so his bowling team embraced that uh, similarity. I'm not making any of this up. Uh, and they gave out nicknames to all their members, and his nickname was Adolf. Mm. Uh, and when he hit a strike, which didn't happen that frequently because he wasn't a very good bowler, but when he hit a strike, he would give the Nazi salute. Right. And uh, So this was like Ed Lordian behavior before Edge Lordian, I should say. Yes. Calling him Ed Lordian. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, Edge Lords. I'm messing you guys up. Uh, And uh, I was like, wow, man, this is really freaking weird. Uh, He is no longer there at the bowling alley, and his team has transformed into a really bunch of good guys. But uh, they were Edge Lords before it was fashionable. All right. I'm going to. move on to the original uh, edge lord in many ways donald trump mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and uh, donald trump yesterday uh we talked about this on the show uh with that i did with miles conflossen uh went on this riff in iowa where he was sort of denouncing woke as a tool that's used uh by the right very bizarre that donald trump of all people uh, would go on this riff. Uh, and we talked about this with Miles. Like, was Donald, was it a strategic move by Donald Trump to distinguish himself from Ron DeSantis? Ron DeSantis' entire campaign is sort of hinged on the notion that he, Ron DeSantis, has been on the front line in the war, the culture war against woke in every aspect, even if it means banning books even if it means uh, keeping teachers from talking about gay people, mm-hmm. even if uh, it means just wiping away any reference uh, to trans people as though they don't exist, they're not real. Uh, and even it's got teachers worried about, can I teach the diary of Anne Frank? Is that too provocative? Right. So in the name, Ed Lords apparently love, believe in free speech, uh, but their leader, Ron DeSantis, is opposed to free speech. So this is kind of the inner contradiction. Uh, and so 
Donald Trump is battling Ron DeSantis for the Republican primary. They're both running. The, the primary start in January and February of next year. Uh, and so he gave this comment, sort of uh, just off the cuff comment in at a speech he was making in, front, in a group of conservatives. And he went on this riff about woke. And he was like, what does woke even mean? Who knows what woke means? There's some people who talk about woke all the time. Woke, woke, woke. What does it mean? And I'm like, does this mean that Donald Trump is distancing himself from the anti-woke movement in order already to move to the center? Is that what this means, that he's trying to curry favor with the proverbial swing voters, suburban swing voters, that according to Barack Obama and David Axelrod and Rahm Emanuel will determine every presidential election and must be courted at every moment? Uh, well, before, <laughs> I mean, yesterday we're like, maybe he is. Well, fast forward nine hours, Rach. I think it was nine hours. He was giving another speech. I forget where this one was. And he went on on another rant, this one denouncing the military, woke in the military, which is a favorite talking point of uh, MAGA these days. Mm -hmm. The military is becoming too woke because the military is, uh, has a, a tolerant attitude. Uh, towards, towards gays? Gays, yes. And so the, it's as though the military is, uh, they don't want to come out uh, and use uh, the F word. So they'll say things like they're sissies. Mm. They're wimps. They're, uh, they're, they're taking men and turning them into mice, which is my old line. Uh, and uh, they're like criticizing the leaders of the military, the appointees of Biden. And so they're directing at Biden. Biden wants to feminize our military. This is this is like a, a, a major theme coming out of MAGA these days. And Donald Trump, just nine hours after he denounced the concept of woke or anti-wokeness, said they're turning the military into a woke group. Oh, the God. military is woke now. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. What happened right. to moving? Moving to the center to court. Those Axel Rodian suburban swing voters that are so important and crucial, who <laughs> are maybe a little offended by the heavy emphasis on anti wokeism. So I've come to the conclusion, Rach, that there is no rhyme or reason no. to Donald Trump. That Donald Trump is just, his brain is spewing whatever notion is there at that moment in his mm -hmm. brain. Oh, yeah. There's no consistency to it. No, he stands for nothing. We, we've we learned what we, we know, what we've are. It's it's reinforcing what we already know. Donald Trump stands for absolutely nothing. To make two contradictory statements in the span of, what, 24 hours? Sounds about right for him. Like, oh, yep, that checks out a thousand percent. That checks out a thousand percent. You know, it's it's uh it's um, it's the same. He, I mean, how many switcheroos has he done in his political lifetime? So many. Let's not forget when he was, you know, a prominent Democratic uh, donor. You know what I mean? And and just like the person patron of the Democratic Party. Uh, let's not forget his like his when he was pro-choice. You know, let's not let's not forget all the abortions that he probably has paid for. You know, which is a separate issue. Obviously, there's 
so many, you know, right wing men who have done the same. But it's hard to even like it's hard to even give it give it airtime at this point because it's so unsurprising. And my question is, is like, uh, will the will I, I mean, will it be will his inconsistencies even even make any sort of a difference in terms of his ability to become the, you know, to become the Republican uh, nominee, you know, for 2024. And I don't, I li- I honestly don't know. I don't know. Not only do I not know, but it is hard to put my brain on it. Um, and, and I should, maybe I should be forcing myself to, to do that more. Um, but it's, I do think that like, he's probably testing the waters to be like, okay, what is my base exactly right now? Um, just because like, Republicans have such a, you know, they benefit from homogeny in that, like, their base is rather homogenous, so they can um, more easily sort of, like, cater to the homogenous needs and wants of a predominantly white base. And so it's possible that Trump is kind of, you know, licking his finger and putting it uh, putting it up in the air to see where the winds are blowing to get a sense of like, what is the base exactly that he's going to need a cater to, to get the nomination. And it sounds like he's uh, still doing his research by the rapid 180 that has occurred here. Um, but you know what? One thing that I think can keep us hopeful is the fact that uh, Trump's ops are all linking up. That's 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 uh, the uh, Trump's opposition, and I'm talking about a story I've been paying attention to, Dad, which is that Eugene Carroll um, and Mary Trump are uh, getting collaborating on a book. Uh, they are collaborating um, on a romance novel called The Italian Lesson. It's essentially, you know, they're on their eat, pray, love. It's about an American woman uh, with a secret past who goes to Tuscany to try to, like, invent herself. And she opens up a cafe and has wonderful set, gets, you know, railed by a handsome local vineyard owner. Um, so I just, I love it. I love, I love to see jo- Donald Trump's ops uh, linking up. E. Jean Carroll, of course, uh, is... Um, Trump's, uh, you know, is Trump's rape victim um, who uh, just just won the civil case. I got that right. Right, dad, the civil case. Got to Got to make sure. Got to make sure I'm talking about it correctly, because, you know, and, and I'm not the only one you're reading. You're reading article upon article upon article about these things. And you're like, what what is our judicial system? How do I even make sense of it? But if anyone can clarify, it's um, it's the one and only Ben Jarofsky. But E. Jean Carroll, of course, one of uh, Trump's top uh, uh, top ops, the um, the uh, former uh, former. Um, columnist romantic advice columnist um i guess she was perfect for um a writing partner for uh for mary trump of course uh, uh trump's niece and a prominent critic but uh yeah mary trump needed a co-writer who could bring a little bit of roma romance into this uh romance novel and so she tapped uh none other than e Jean carroll someone who with whom she shares a common enemy um and i guess apparently uh, the two of them became close. The two of them and then their third friend, this woman, Jennifer Taub, who's also working on the book with them, they all became close when they joined a Zoom knitting circle in the pandemic. Um, so so take that, Donald Trump. You've got 
you've got enemies in high places um, is, is what I'm choosing to believe um, yeah. with this, with this link up. So yeah, I guess stay tuned for, uh, for the romance novel from all, from Trump's greatest female enemies. Yeah. I am. Um, uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of this, uh, this story, this breaking. Um, I mean, on one level, it's just like, well, you know, it's an opportunity for Mary Trump uh, and, and E. Jean Carroll uh, to do some writing, sell a book, make some money. And that's what it's all about. So I'm not hating on them at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I welcome that. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it is a very bizarre collaboration on some levels because uh, it's born out of hatred for Donald Trump. Uh, and E. Jean Carroll has a very legitimate reason uh, to despise Donald Trump. He raped her. Mm-hmm. For uh, sure. So, that'll, okay. that'll do it. That'll do it. You know, he raped her. Uh, and um, Donald Trump, of course, denies uh, that he raped her, but nobody believes Donald Trump. Donald Trump is like a known liar. Why would you believe Donald Trump uh, on this? It, I just did. You know what? Right. I read an article today. Uh, I wasn't even going to talk about it, but now it's popped in my mind. It was a, this is a classic article that appears in the New York Times and the Washington Post on a regular basis. I may have said it to you. I can't remember. Uh, but uh, the reporter went out and interviewed women uh, who uh, are MAGA voters to see if the E. Jean Carroll uh, verdict has deterred them in any way from remaining loyal to Donald Trump. And let me just remind folks that the E. Jean Carroll verdict was uh, agreed to by a jury in New York City that said that uh, uh, they believed that Donald Trump sexually assaulted E. Jean Carroll in a uh, fitting room uh, in uh, at Bergdorf Goodman uh, shopping a store, a department store in New York City back in the 90s. Uh, and then he defamed her when he denied that he did that and awarded her $5 million. Donald Trump immediately went and said uh, that he never did it, but he repeated the, def- the, the defaming comments he made. Like She's not his type. Uh, and then so now she's re-suing him, suing him again for defamation because he like repeated the thing that he got in trouble for in the first place, uh, proving that Donald Trump has a total contempt and disdain uh, for the law. He's not afraid of it. Uh, he feels he's above it. Uh, so this is going on. And so they interviewed these women. And they say, all right, uh, does this deter you in any way? The fact that a jury found him guilty of sexual assault. And it's remarkable to watch uh, how their brains operate in regard to that question. Because what they're doing is searching for an explanation to justify remaining loyal to Donald Trump, even though he was just found guilty of sexual assault. And so there are some of the things they say, first of all, across the board, they go, no, it has, it has not deterred them in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I'm watching how their brains work. And they'll say things like, all men do it. Well, that's not true. All men don't sexually assault women. Right. <laughs> all men do it? What? I mean, where did you get that? Do you think your husband has sexually assaulted women? Do you think your son has sexually? I mean, it's such an absurd. All men do it. Yeah. I mean, that, uh, completely absurd. And then they quickly go, Bill Clinton did it. 
Right. Which is, uh, and their favorite uh, retort. So it's sort of like, well, Bill Clinton did it and Donald Trump did it. Well, I have a couple things to say about that. Uh, Bill Clinton is not running for president. Bill Clinton's career is finished. And by the way, you didn't have such a cavalier attitude about Bill Clinton uh, praying on Monica Lewinsky when he did it. You try to impeach him on that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So it's sort of like, well, when did you change? When did it suddenly become okay to sexually assault a woman? Uh, and those are their essential justifications. Uh, and then one woman said, well, I think he is a douche. That's what she said. Trump. But Trump. But the economy was good when he was president. And I'm like, how? first of all, the economy for most people is not that much different now than it was then. It's like a, no. it's like a river rates. You know what I'm saying? Like you put your foot in it at any given time. It depends on where you're at. If like your company goes belly up, the economy's bad. If your company is doing well, the economy and you have a raise, the economy's good. I don't know really what the president has to do with it. You follow what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like almost this mythical belief that because Donald Trump is the president and I had a job, the economy was good. Therefore, I want to vote for him again, no matter what he does. Yeah, I mean, but this is just the subjectivity of uh, of of the electorate, you know, like no one, especially in a world where our in a world where we're now getting news from like uh, where the news itself has become such a industry you know the 24 there's a problematic nature to the 24-hour news cycle of cnn clinton news network which is probably one of trump's best lines um and fox is just like it 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 sort of just like it brews this sort of like partisan subjectivity so it's just like the idea of facts is No, so no one believes in anything and there's no such thing as facts or whatever they're, you know, whatever you're believing in that's kind of extremifying your views is the fact. And it to me, it just sounds like these individuals wanted to vote for Trump. So not much is going to then deter them from not doing it. Um, Or if something were to eventually deter them from not doing it, like I don't think it would be reading an article in The New York Times. Not to say that The New York Times shouldn't, you know, stop being truth tellers about Trump and telling us about E.G. and Carol and Mary Trump's book. But that's just to say that, like, I don't think that... (laughs) It would take a lot for these particular individuals to have a change of heart because to they feel their interests in some way feel or somehow feel protected under a Trump presidency. Or they just hate the opposition uh, so much for whatever reason, uh, be it Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, uh, Joe Biden. They hate him so much. They love Trump. Yeah. And they hate they love Trump because he hates them as much as uh they do. So uh, it's a very twisted uh relationship. Uh and it underscores the point that been being made countlessly uh 
countless times since Donald Trump began running in 2016. There's nothing that will deter a MAGA person from their love for Donald Trump. Just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You could forget about it. There's nothing you could do. And it doesn't mean you should stop trying to prosecute Trump. It doesn't no. mean you shouldn't. Yeah. If Trump should go to jail, prison for his uh, wrongdoing uh, and he should be punished for it. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. because 40 percent of the population, 45 percent, whatever, is loyal to Trump, regardless, no matter what, no matter what he does, an insurrection against the country, an attempted coup doesn't matter to them. They still support him. Uh, he still should be held accountable for breaking the law. Uh, it is a little scary, though, Rach, to listen to the, the justifications that women have for Donald Trump uh, being uh, convicted of sexual assault to say all men do it. I'm like, wow. All right. Uh, I will now uh, shift gears to something else that's on my mind. Uh, and this is a story uh, that broke uh, in The Guardian. I saw a shout out to The Guardian uh, about a committee hearing uh, in the U.S. Senate yesterday, chaired by uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders, uh, in which uh, Senator uh, Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma, Republican from Oklahoma, uh, went on a riff. And he's a MAGA senator uh, from the state of Oklahoma, hardcore MAGA guy who was uh, served in Congress. Uh, and uh, now he's a senator. I don't even know what exactly uh, the ostensible purpose of the meeting was, uh, but Mullen took his opportunity uh, to do a denunciation of wokeness uh, and grooming, which is a favorite theme of MAGA. Oh, it's a favorite theme of DeSantis MAGA. Really, this is like a a DeSantis MAGA movement. Uh, Donald Trump... I don't associate this as much with Donald Trump himself, uh, more Ron DeSantis, like taking Trump one step further. And now mm-hmm. Donald Trump has to figure out how can I do I try to catch up or do I make fun of him? Do I take parts of his anti-woke movement? So Donald Trump is trying to uh, figure this out. I think that's what we're getting on the last segment where he said two different things, contradicting things within the course of nine hours. Uh, but Mark Wayne Mullen took it a step further, uh, and uh, he took two books. He took a book, a, child, a child's book, uh, that um, uh, he plucked uh, the, uh, from, I don't know where it was being taught. I don't know what school system. Uh, and here's the quote he read from it. A long time ago, way before you were born, a group of white people made up an idea called race. They sorted people by skin color and said that white people were better, smarter, prettier, and they deserved more than everybody else. End of quote from the book. This would be taught if we socialize our pre-K system. This would be taught, he said. Asked by Senator Sanders if he disagreed with the book, Mullen said, quote, 1,000%. How about we teach Jesus loves me and teaching Jesus loves and loves the little children. The lyrics go red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in our sight. Why are we still p- calling people red? Why are we well, still calling people red or calling people yellow? Like, I'm just let me just finish. <laughs> She's ready to go on this one. Uh, the hymn Mullen was referring to, Jesus Loves the Little Children, was written by C. Herbert Woolston. Uh, and uh, the book he was quoting was Our Skin, A First Conversation by Race. Uh, has been seized uh, by MAGA in the ongoing battle over the teaching of race. Uh, and uh, this, of course, this is the hearing that the news story has uh, had to do, we're sort of making fun of um, of Mullen uh, because at one point he said, uh, I don't want reality. 
So it's sort of like what he wants a fantasy world. But I was thinking about the issue he raised, Rach. Get your thoughts on it. You're all ready to go. I know already. Uh, like the the him he quoted, taking aside the fact that it's uh, ancient in terms of referring to red people, yellow people, et cetera, mm-hmm. and so forth, is essentially pro- promoting tolerance. It doesn't matter what color you are. Jesus loves all of you. This is like, if you added gay to that sentence, mm-hmm. if it was yellow, white, brown, red, and gay, Mark Wayne Mullen and the rest of MAGAites and Ron DeSantis would be denouncing it. They'd mm-hmm. say you're trying to groom people. But I'm like, well, wait. If, if Jesus is promoting tolerance then tolerance is tolerance. It looks like Jesus is pretty woke. Right. This is pretty woke to me. This sounds like, like, you know, what's that book? Uh, someone's got two mothers. I forget the name of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. sounds pretty woke to me. Sounds like Heather's got two mothers. Remember in the uh, Best in Show? Yeah, <laughs> yes. With um Jane Lynch and Jennifer Coolidge's characters. Yes. And they're kissing. And yeah. then the other character, oh, the dog, I think's name was Betsy. I don't know. Oh, Betsy's got two moms. So two mommies, yeah. <laughs> two mommies. So it's like you guys are all over the freaking map. All right. You know, and uh, uh your thoughts about this, Rachel. Yeah, I mean it's also just like it, there's so much all over the freaking mapness going on. It's, it's like, you know, this, you know, what is, he's like a, he's a Senator now, Senator Mullen. Yes, he is a Senator. He's a whole Senator. God damn. It's like Senator Mullen. I mean, I, I'd be curious if, if, um, no, I guess it's the houses, the houses, the, uh, the Freedom Caucus, not the Senate. Um, are senators in the in the Freedom Caucus, Dad? You can be uh, in the Freedom Caucus, uh, the the Senate Freedom Caucus, but it's not a, a actual caucus in the Senate because that revolt. Look, the the Republicans control the Senate. They're kind of tightly knit group with Mitch McConnell in the Senate. They're all like yeah. kind of in the McConnell caucus. Sure, uh, sure. And uh, but that revolt, that particular Freedom Caucus revolt, happened in the House. So they, yes, it's a House thing. It's just okay. So the way that the right will sort of like cherry pick these original patriotic pillars that they want to believe in is just so shocking like this guy is saying that we should this guy who probably wants to obliterate public education because it's i don't know what a tool of socialism i don't really know what the talking point is is suggesting that in instead of teaching um you know this book that honestly depicts you know racism as it as it exists and existed in this country and as it came to be uh we thinks we should instead be teaching a christian 
based curriculum to all of our pre-K students around the nation. But what about, and that that's somehow truly American, but isn't truly Americanness, or wasn't this nation founded on a separation of church and state? So why are we trying to bring religious principles into our public education institutions, our public schools? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it's also just like, it's like he's trying to pull a fast one. Like this is, at, let's teach, this is, a, you know, a more appropriate uh, tolerance-based curriculum for students. And, oh, what? It's accidentally Christian? Like, it's just, my quite like, why are you trying to teach Jesus in public schools, man? Like, that's not what the founding fathers want. And don't every, like, Republicans, like, supposedly bust a nut for the founding fathers? Like, Truly, like, aren't, isn't it just like all about the original, we are, you know, I'm thinking of like, I'm thinking of the, uh, God, what is the name of those dirt bag, uh, Supreme, uh, judicial, the judicial, uh, super PAC that's, um, framework, frame, original framers, or what is the yeah. name of it? Yeah, I, I, yeah. What's their name? I'm of, of like, we believe that we need to follow the Constitution exactly as the founding fathers wanted it to be. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, what is it called? Foundation Federal Society. It's a Federalist Societies, but they're it's a it's a it's a word for their sort of their like um their like pedagogy uh regarding originalism. originalism. Yes, it's yeah. there's the spirit of originalism in the Republican Party and in the right, but <laughs> but still, it's so conveniently cherry picked through to just promote whatever, to just promote these psychotic and and freedom debasing pieces of legislation and 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 but beyond legislation, freedom debasing ways of life that just like take away it people's fundamental freedoms and, and abilities to exist as they authentically are like it's 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 i can't even honestly think as a as a young bisexual as being the young bisexual icon that i am i can't even think about it for too long without because it'll just be too upsetting well, you know i you know i'm all i'm all over the map with this uh i'm gonna go to the library and check out the book that he uh, read that he disapproved of so I could give it its full reading uh, and see exactly what the authors were saying in that book, because I'm just going on one excerpt that he uh, read. So I have no idea how that fits into the total framework of the book, but the challenge of teaching the concept of race yeah. to uh, five or six year olds or seven year olds, eight year olds, however, you know, up to fourth grade, fifth grade. I mean, that's no joke. It's hard. It's hard, particularly since they're already been subjected to so much bias by the time they reach kindergarten. They, they've, if you're a little white kid, chances are you've been exposed to your racist uncle. Yeah. And you've heard the, the, the things that he has to say. Chances are you've been exposed to the constant refrain on TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Maybe you watch Jerry Springer to go back to that show. We did a few uh, uh, weeks ago and you saw some oddball things about Nazis and skinheads, you right. know, and who were like skinhead married to a black woman. We can see what they have to say. You're five years old and you're trying to make sense of this. Uh, and so, you know, stop with that in the lap of a kindergarten teacher or a first grade teacher. And he or she has got to teach, quote unquote, teach race. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you do it. I don't, there's no easy way to do it. I don't know if you want to do it. My uh, first grade teacher read us the Addie books, the Addie series from American Girl Dolls. American Girl Doll Addie was the one black doll, also was a former slave, um, which, you know, people felt was problematic. Like, can we have a black doll that's not a slave? Um, hopefully, hopefully some came in the aftermath of, you know, since I've sort of grown out of American Girl Dolls, being that I am um, 31. I'm kind of a little bit out of touch with that company and what they're the product they're turning out these days. But um, I feel like. Our, what did what did my first grade teacher do? Read us a story about a young slave girl who escapes to freedom, and what did it tell us? That this stuff happened. That this stuff existed. That these people were humans with stories who were um, completely uh, subjugated, put into bondage, and without without any freedom or agency or liberty in a, in a country that is supposedly built on that. It's like, I don't know what to tell, you know, Senator Mullen, this country was built on slavery. This country was built on slavery. The, the foundational uh, beginnings of our capitalism was built on an industry of slave trade and, uh, uh, and, and, and free labor. What are you going to do with that? You know, that's that's what happened. That is what happened. So it's like, I don't understand why there I just the push to try to act like that's not what happened is just it's um it and it's it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. Well, they, the push is to take that historical fact and twist it uh, so that it will fit a, a MAGA narrative. Uh, and so the way you do that, there's many different ways they try to do that. But one way they do that is to say, well, it was the genius of the United States that and the brilliance of the founding fathers that they set up our society in such a way uh, that slavery eventually would die in this country, uh, right. which which is. Uh, well, I guess you're overlooking the Civil War, that we had to have a war <laughs> between two sections of our country, sure. which hundreds of thousands of people died in. The other thing that they do uh, is more or less along the lines of what MAGA women do to justify voting for Donald Trump. Every society uh, had slaves, so it wasn't just the United States. Slavery is part of, of world history. Uh, did you know that there were uh, African tribes that had slaves? Uh, so right. in other words, everybody did it. So therefore it was acceptable to a certain degree, uh, that there was slavery in the United States. Uh, and, um, and then there's what, uh, Tim Scott tries to do. Who's running for president sure. uh, right on the Republican side, Senator Tim Scott. 
a black man uh, running uh, for MAGA's votes and try to use the story, the transformation of black people from uh, slaves uh, to a U.S. senator in his case in the 21st century as an example of what makes this country great uh, and why we should embrace MAGA as opposed to embracing the Democratic Party, who is like the political descendants of everybody who fought slavery. Right. So we're right. supposed to embrace the party, the political descendants of the people who created and defended slavery and then created and defended Jim Crow as a way of somehow or other proving that our country is dedicated to um, treating all people the same. So that's their struggle, right? That's their struggle. And they're really fighting with it. Uh, and uh, Senator Mullen was really fighting it with when he when he read this. This classic hymn, which sure sounded to me straight up wokeness. I'm just saying it's right. straight up. Well, you're preaching tolerance. Well, if you're going to preach tolerance for race, you got to. I don't know. What about gay people? They I don't. Are you going to treat for the tolerance for them? Don't they get included? Doesn't God love them, too? Right. You know, just just say it. All right. Uh, almost out of town time. Uh, I know. Let's just close with a couple promotions. You got one you want to give uh, about an old friend. And I, I did. One. I do. I want to shout out our old family friend, Yoli Rojas, who is a contestant on the second season of the Netflix's classic dating show, The Ultimatum. This is the Ultimatum Queer Edition. It dropped just in time for Pride Month. Um, I, you know, I, I got to say, to quote you, Dad, run, don't walk. This is just a excellent reality television that follows five queer couples of various uh, eight races, ages, sort of gender presentation, really shows the full gamut of um, of lesbian culture. We've got feminine lesbians. We've got mask lesbians. I don't think anyone identifies as non-binary, but a few she they pronouns in there uh but it's it's yoli is just absolutely awesome on the show she rocks it um and there's just so many classic characters and to my my uh, straight brethren give it a watch you'll learn some things you'll learn some things that you didn't uh that you didn't know um in case you're not familiar with the show the way it works is uh Couples come on and and in these couples, one person within the couple has issued the other an ultimatum. You need to marry me or we're breaking up. So all these couples kind of come to the table with that ultimatum having been ish, having been issued. Um, and then they proceed to break up and date uh the other other members of other couples and then they come back at the end of the show and they decide if they're going to get married to their original partner if they're going to leave the show with a new boo or if they're going to just be single so hey it's um it's not the highest brow but who needs high brow these days um uh, give it a watch congrats yoli on getting to getting to it getting to the, becoming this uh sort of queer icon from chicago holding down chicago you're really you're doing it big for the city uh, no, my major shout out to Yoli uh, and her entire family, dear friends of ours from way, way back. Uh, and uh, I've known Yoli since she, we figured this out. I think she was in third grade. Uh, this is blowing my mind that she's uh, turning into a reality TV show superstar. I haven't seen the show. It's, it doesn't sound like my cup of tea. 
uh, reality. Well, you hate reality TV. Yeah, I, I was going to say. That was, Sometimes <laughs> you just got to lobotomize yourself, okay? okay? In this day and age, it's just you need a quick little put my brain on ice. Uh, yeah, and uh, fair enough. Uh, I, I watched five minutes of the Kardashians. I couldn't watch no more. Uh, that's as close as I've come to reality. No, I did watch Gary Owen had a reality TV show for a while. Oh, you would like that. <laughs> yeah. You would like oh, that. I gotta watch that for a while. But anyway, major shout out, Yoli. Uh, you know I love you. And uh, so I'm really uh, happy to see that. I will definitely check that out and see Yoli. I want to give a shout out to an old friend, Steve James. Just uh, did an interview with him. It's dropping this weekend. Uh, he, of course, is the great director. Uh, he did Hoop Dreams and he did City So Real. Uh, and his new latest documentary will be dropped. This starts this Tuesday, I want to say. Yeah, June 6th uh, on ESPN. It's a documentary about Bill Walton. So this was what Rachel was explaining uh, ultimatum series to like boomers. I am now going to explain Bill Walton uh, to millennials and Z. There you go. Uh, so we one, one generation helps the other. Bill Walton is one of the greatest basketball players of the 1970s. Uh, he was a childhood hero of mine, very political for a basketball player, a lefty, uh, anti-war activist uh, while he was a great basketball player. Uh, his his career was cut short, tragically short. And he had just horrific problems with his feet. Uh, and it, it's chronicled in Steve James' uh, documentary. And so he played just a fraction of what would have been like one of the great careers right up there. He would have probably, he was second to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, my humble opinion, is the greatest center of the 70s. Uh, and uh, so Steve, it's a four-part series. He tells the story of uh, Bill Walton, his evolution uh, to what he is today, how he overcame his stuttering problem. It's, it's, it's like a love poem to 70s. I mean, could, this, could there be a documentary more... Taylor to me, uh, the 1970s basketball activism. You put it all together. Uh, and then the issue of race, because he's a um, he's a white man and he's playing in the NBA. He's a superstar uh, in the NBA. Most of the players are black. So we get into the issues of race. Mm -hmm. So pretty much everything uh, that I'm obsessed with in one documentary, lovingly told. Uh, and I, I got to see the preview of it uh, and I'm probably going to do about three er interviews uh, uh, dedicated to it, Rach, with various basketball players from the 70s and people who are in the documentary. So shout out Steve James, uh, another great flick from Steve James, uh, the Ch Chicago's own, though he's not really from Chicago. He's not from Chicago at all, but he lives here now. Uh, and so that drops this Tuesday on ESPN. It's called The Luckiest Man in the World, uh, the Bill Walton documentary. You'll find it. All right, Rach, we've run out of time. Thank you very much. Uh, and um, uh, thank you very much for allowing me to use your kitchen. Of course, anytime. Anytime, indeed. I also want to thank the man to the legend, uh, Producer Chris, doing an outstanding job. Producer Chris, I think uh, you should take my advice. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. And remember, you can always download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more, all for free, right there at chicagoreader.com. If you've got Instagram, so does Ben Jarofsky. Follow him at Benny J Show on Instagram and all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.